Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary and Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Sarah Dirk. Sarah is a uh, returning guest. She's been on the show a couple times, though it's been a little bit uh, since we've had her on. I'm so glad to have her back on. She is a professor of Bible with a specialization in the Old Testament, uh, teaching at Houghton College, a sister institution of mine in New York, upstate New York. And uh, we're old friends as well, went to school together and have taught together and love having her on the show. Keep an eye out for her works on uh, Amazon. If you search there, she has uh, some commentaries published and such. So definitely check out her work. Our text this week is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. Ephesians 4, 25 through 5, verse 2. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on to others so they may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show financially and receive some additional content, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Sarah. hear the word of the Lord today from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, beginning in chapter 4, verse 25. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that you, through your Son, Jesus Christ, have been gracious towards us, have been forgiving towards us, and that he gave himself up on our behalf. And so, in view of this great grace, uh, we hear this word summoning us to a way of life, a way of life with truth and without excessive anger. 
And so, Lord, as this word has been handed on through the ages, we ask that we would be equipped to receive it and hand it on as well, that Sarah and I would be not grieving the Holy Spirit, but anointed with the Holy Spirit as students and teachers of the word, and that all those who are listening in, separated as we are by time and space, that they too would receive the word of God and be equipped. May this hour be a means of grace for us and for them, Mm -hmm. that they in turn may administer the means of grace to others. We dare to ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Yeah, so what, uh, what jumps out at you in this passage as you read it afresh today? Well, <laughs> the first thing I noticed was the reason that is given at the end of verse 25 for this change from the old self to the new self. We are members of one another. In other words, that falsehood, and I think we could extrapolate also to the anger and the evil talk and all of the things that we were warned against in the passage, all of this is for the sake of our membership with each other in the body of Christ, that we not only grieve the Holy Spirit, but we make vulnerable the church. We offend our common life. We offend our brotherhood, sisterhood when we do these things. And so... Um, I think it's, you know, the theme of unity that is all over the book of Ephesians, but the reason for which we should fight against bitterness and try to replace it with tenderheartedness, etc., is for the sake of our unity, which I think is much more compelling to me. And we can get into that a little bit later, but this is much more compelling to me than simply try to be a good person by not being an angry one. <laughs> but that this is for the sake of our membership with one another in the body of Christ. So that's the first thing that stood out to me. I am having all kinds of bells being rung for me from other texts. Zechariah 8 shows up here and Psalm 4 in these first two verses of this section. And then I I love verse 28, thieves must give up stealing. And I, I want to ask <laughs> who in the church is stealing and why do they need this admonition? I want to know more about that. <laughs> 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 and then I, I think uh, I want to go into that really restrictive use of, of human speech, only what is useful for building up. And then I, I'm really also intrigued by the really relational spin that is put on all of this toward the Holy Spirit, that we could grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 30. Uh, that really jumps off the page at me. And then, of course, you know, the be imitators of God, that's... Uh, oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> so I want to talk about that a little bit. And 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 I love how it ends with this this very Old Testament image of the fragrant offering and sacrifice. Etc. Etc. So those are the things that kind of catch my attention initially. Wow, so much. Yeah, so much. <laughs> so much. I'm 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 torn right now, and and <laughs> let's let's take a let's have a meta moment yeah. as readers of a text. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'm drawn like to the end of a of a section <laughs> to work backwards from yeah. there, but then I always want to catch myself if I'm doing that in a forced way 
So I, I don't know. I'd love to hear your advice for me and for any of our <laughs> listeners. Like when you're when you're drawn to a passage, like kind of where it lands, is it important to kind of put that on the shelf and kind of follow the logic of the passage, or how much permission would you grant to? <laughs> like sort of working backwards uh, yeah. through a text. I don't know. What are you, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, I think in some cases that can be really helpful to work backwards in others. I, and this, I, I'm not sure which direction to go honestly in this passage. I think as we think about this text as a text that's setting up the ethics of the new, the new self, you know, you can read a lot in the commentaries about, well, how do these ethics differ from ethics of the Greco-Roman philosophers, et cetera, et cetera. Ah. And I think it's really the closing of this section that it is because we are beloved children that we are able to live in love. And it is because Christ gave himself up for us as a sacrifice that we have any hope of doing what we are enjoined to do in this passage. So on the one hand, like I, I want to sort of forecast that for the reader to say, you know, we're not being asked to do the impossible. In fact, we're asked to do in this passage, what God then can empower us to do. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think to, to forecast that too much is to, I don't know, strip the reader of the chance to wrestle with our own inadequacy. Feel the burn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's good. So that, that helps to say, take the insight of what draws our attention at the end of a text, but also don't use that as an excuse to avoid the the challenge that the text is presenting. That's a good rule of thumb. I like that. Well, let's start from the top then. So we have two, uh, we, we couldn't call them quotations because he doesn't, or they're, they're at least not citations Yeah. <laughs> um, because they are, this is just the language of scripture on Paul's tongue, right? That's right. Yeah. So we start then at the top with well, I don't know. Kind of want to start with the first word, right? Therefore. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you see a therefore, ask what it's there for, right? So yeah. now we have other episodes covering most of the the book of Ephesians, right. but there is this preceding section that really got the whole ethics of Ephesians started in verse four. Yeah. I mean, chapter four at the beginning. So he's already issued some instructions in 17 through 14. So maybe even just looking at 17 through 24, even just looking at 24 can be helpful when he talks about put on the new self, which you already alluded to and the created after the likeness of God in true holiness and righteousness. So that's also an allusion to the likeness of God at at creation and perhaps helpful for our interpretation when we get there of what it means to imitate God in in 5.1, which also is a more distant echo Mm -hmm. of that. For sure. Creation in God's image. Yeah. So that's yeah. at least a framing to keep in mind that then he's kind of spelling that out. So here's specifically applying to our social life together, like you said, right? Because lying, excessive anger, the truthfulness of our speech, the usefulness of our speech, and all the problem around stealing, as well as the bit about tenderhearted graciousness towards the end. All of these are our social virtues. I mean, none of these are, can really be even obeyed by yourself in your closet. No. (laughs) So, I mean, this is really astounding. I mean, uh, so to, to put on the new self is to be in relationship with others in a holy manner, in a way that is defined by that righteousness and holiness, which God helps us to live into. And so, yeah, I think there's a very real way 
in which we cannot ever claim to know the virtue that God gives us until we know how to live it out with others. And again, that is all for a purpose. It's because we are members of one another. And I love what he's going to say in verse 29, so that your words may give grace, so that we are invited to participate with God, to partner with God in the giving of grace. So this is not just all personal, individual. It's very much all to the purpose and end of building up the body of Christ. And so in other words, in Paul's vision here in vision for the church here in Ephesians, you cannot be a Christian on your own. You just can't. Yeah. It's, it's communal all the way down. There's not like, it's not like there's ethics and then social ethics. It's just a social ethic all the way down, which fits right out of the gate in chapter four, right? When he talks about, you know, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Well, I'm glad you mentioned grace because actually that that raises a translational moment in mm-hmm. verse 32. Mm-hmm. So 32, I'm going to do a wooden read of 32 real quick. So be or become unto one another, kreistoi, <laughs> uh, which is kind, right? Kind mm-hmm. persons. The tenderness, I think, is the mm-hmm. some versions do. Now, I don't know if that has a relationship to charis or not, but then the next word, you know, usplognoi, right? Uh, so that's the one that's tenderhearted, right? So uh, ooh is like what? Uh, have good bowels. <laughs> right. But have good. And it's so funny because we're so comfortable talking about the heart which is yeah. a metaphor. Yeah. But then when, when it, when it's, this is good guts, have good guts, That's right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> good guts. And then and towards each other. <laughs> yeah. Care, menoi. Mm-hmm. So I think forgiving is what your translation. Yeah. Had, which is fine. That that's part of the meaning, sure. but it's, it's just the verb form of grace, right? Oh, grace, yeah. Yeah. Grace one another. <laughs> yeah. Be gracious toward, you could yeah, even say. Right, Be gracious right. toward. And I think there I think it is a mistake to just reduce that to forgiveness because mm-hmm. graciousness is not restricted to forgiveness. If if there are obviously I'm being gracious towards you, Sarah, when I'm forgiving you for mm-hmm. a trespass mm-hmm. or when I forgive a debt that you owe me. Mm-hmm. But even when there's no debts to forgive, no sin to forgive. There's still a lot of grace that I can give. Just the way we interact with someone can be gracious. And then it makes it, like you said, it deepens the point you were making and confirms it and deepens it when you said that we're participating in the movement of grace from God to us and among us, because then it says, be gracious to one another or to yourselves, just as also God in the Messiah graced you. Right? Right, right. So uh, this uh, this verb form of grace kind of takes on a whole new energy there. And then you could almost think of that last line as it's one point among many, but in many ways it sums up the whole chapter because what is it that being gracious looks like? I mean, maybe I'm reading too much in pushback if, if I'm loving the language of grace too much, but <laughs> speaking the truth with one's neighbor that in in your anger, you do not sin, that you not steal, but do honest work and share with one another. I mean, all of this is grace, gracious language, gracious words, gracious ways of being. 
I don't know. How does that strike you? Am I doing too much with that concept to expand it and see it as thematic and not just as one thing on a list? No, absolutely. I think that's, I think that's right. I mean, I think in a sense, all three of these virtues uh, in verse 32 could be treated as. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Right. I mean, to be kind (laughs) would also include, you know, telling the truth, not being angry or not sending in our anger giving up the thievery, et cetera. And, and to be tenderhearted. I mean, if you're tenderhearted yeah. towards someone, you are not going to want to t- try and right. deceive them through falsehood. You're not going to want to try and deceive them through thievery. You're not going to want to let evil talk come out of your mouth and hurt and harm them. So mm-hmm. I think any one of these on their own could be a summative proof, if you will, that we are, trying to live in grace and, and in love. And altogether, they also perform this, the function of this is what it looks like when the new self is ultimately seeking the good and flourishing of the other person. It's yeah, kind, kind of, tenderhearted, gracious. And they yeah. really, they pick up different aspects of one reality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's good. And you could do the just as with all three. Yes. And it's, it's implied, absolutely. you know, cause Paul's just talking here. And so he throws in the just as probably cause he used the word for grace and it made him think of the grace of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so he starts talking about it, which is why the parrot, the, the chapter break at five is a little misleading. Cause he's, he's expanding still on that even mm-hmm. in chapter five, oh, but, absolutely, absolutely. but you know, be kind towards one another as God in Christ has been kind to you be tenderhearted towards one another as yeah. God in Christ has been tenderhearted. But grace is the key one there, but I think I think I want to say maybe each of these is more active than they might seem at first blush. Kindness is yes. not is not just being nice. It's not just biting your tongue. Kindness mm-hmm. is active generosity of spirit. Tenderheartedness is not just self-control. It's allowing your spirit, your soul, your mind, your emotions to be moved by the needs of the other person. Yes. And what this, they care about, you care about. Yeah, what breaks their heart right, breaks that's yours. Right, that's right. Yeah. And this graciousness is much more than just, so I was going to say a minute ago, maybe this is helpful here. I think many women in the church have had graciousness held over our heads as the way that we must operate in the world. And so for, <laughs> for some yeah. Wait, and and if you're not being gracious, then you're accused of having a Jezebel spirit. So graciousness for women is a loaded term for some women, I'll put it that way. And I think then to say that, to claim that as what God has done in Christ, <laughs> then sort of, you know, reanimates that term, it re-enlivens it, it gives it, a, this is much more than just the gracious church lady or the gracious hostess. This is that which God does in Christ <laughs> is, is what we are to do for each other. And that's, a, again, a much more active, much less passive kind of. A no, I like that. You're right. Because the passive reduction of these virtues really only fulfills the negative side of his instructions then, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. passively, one could avoid falsehood, mm-hmm. right? But you have to be active to speak the truth with your neighbor. That's right. Right. You You could be, you could passively, you could avoid stealing. But you're supposed to get to the point where you have something to give those who are needy. (laughs) Right. Active to labor and, and give. And it, and the other one, uh, 26 too, you could passively 
keep your anger in check, mm-hmm. right? But the implication I think of it is because it just talked about speaking truth to the neighbor that you would in fact call people out, but you would do it in a way that would be, again, gracious, right? That it would be tenderhearted, that it would be speaking truth rather than just lashing out. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The passive side doesn't actually capture the whole of no. the instruction. No, and in fact, I think if we want to zoom in a little bit on verse 26 and 27 and the anger in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let's take a break there and come back and start with that. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Sarah Dirk, and we are looking at Ephesians chapter four, verses 25 through five, verse two. And right before the break, we started talking about the anger theme. Let, let's dig into that a little bit more. You, you were about to say something and I wanted to slip off for a break. So yeah, um, at being an ungracious host. <laughs> <laughs> well, so first of all, let's just acknowledge that sometimes Christians have thought we didn't have the right to be angry. And sometimes this instruction has been overstated to the point that I frequently have students asking me, so am I sinning just by being angry? And my resounding answer to that is always no. Anger is an emotion. And just like every other emotion, emotions are given to us by God. It's what we do with those emotions that turn, that has the potential to become sinful. So I want to stop, first of all, with the do not let the sun go down on your anger, because this is something that we might miss. If we remember that in the Jewish way of counting time, sundown is the beginning of a new day. And we tend to think of don't let the sun go down on your anger as being, well, don't lay there on your bed all night and brood. And sure, that's involved. But if in the Jewish day, you have to deal with your anger before the sun goes down, then that is an even more, I I would say, active urgency. Yeah, good. Deal with this. So that your rest, which is one of the first things you do in the Jewish day, (laughs) is not impeded and tainted and, you know, taken up, consumed by that fretting overnight. Uh, Because that's where we make room for the devil. And here, diabolos in the Greek, uh, I think it's probably better to understand it as the accuser, not because those are separate entities, but because that's really, I think, what the risk is. If we don't deal with our anger in a timely manner, that's where our enemy can begin to accuse us and accuse our opponent of things that are not true. And those things can go deep into us. They can take root. They can become bitterness. And so I, yeah, I just want they to can balloon out of yeah, control. They can, right. Oh man, when I'm pissed and like talking to myself, <laughs> that's what I do is I start, yeah. and you did this and last week you did this. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you replay that conversation over and yeah. over again with every little variation of how you might've said it to just smack down on them, you know? And that's the point at which we have given the devil a foothold to use one of the older translations. So again, it's not the emotion itself. It's, it's the degree to which we nurture it and, and coddle it and feed it rather than addressing the problem, forgiving, leaving it in God's hands and moving on to our rest. So then that reminds us that when we come down to, to verse 31 and we say, 
there is this active put away from you or take off, unclothe yourself from bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling or brawling and slander and malice. I mean, now I suppose you could go down a whole rabbit trail of what's the difference between each of these terms. But I think cumulatively, the point is don't let any of this get its grip on you. Yeah. You feel the anger. Yeah. But you live in the love. And so I also just want to say that like, it's really important that some of these are feelings and some of these are actions. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't get to hold on to any of them when we are in Christ. So I'll just put it this way. It was a helpful corrective to me in my own spiritual growth to understand that I don't need to feel ashamed of my feelings, but I do need to pay active attention to where they lead me and where I follow them. So yeah, in some ways, you know, some people have taken this really, really literally. And I know some married couples who've made promises to to each other. They will never go to bed angry. (laughs) Yeah. That's a funny one. You got to be careful with that one because sometimes I can be used an excuse to pick a fight. (laughs) When, I mean, in our first year of marriage, we had a counselor who taught us the 20 minute rule. Mm. Spooking anybody at any time can call 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And we've allowed our kids to do this too. It gives them a lot of power. Yeah. And sometimes you yell, you know, 20 minutes, you know, but it means, okay, whatever we're talking about, you can put a pause on it. Yes. 20 minutes. And, and it was this great compromise because I had Mandy and this genderizes matches often modern American evangelical gender roles in the Midwest, at least that I know. So she had internalized verse 26 as a sort of anger denial. So when she was angry, right. she could pretend she wasn't. Right. right. It, so, cause it led to a kind of false consciousness. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I had internalized 26 because again, very different family of origin for me, mm-hmm. but also the gen different gender. Like, Oh, you have a, you got a beef, like work it out, have an mm-hmm. argument. Right. So like yeah, my family's yeah. a, a hand waving, arguing yeah. family, you know, us, you, that yeah, would make sense. Yeah, yeah doesn't mean we didn't sweep things under the rug, but we did definitely would have arguments, really open yeah, arguments. Right, and, right. and her family had a different way of approaching, definitely a lot more tiptoeing around and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then that genderizes and gets inflected yeah. even more so with Christian teaching. So like we were both thought we were following verse 26, <laughs> which is like, well, before the sun went down, I stopped being angry. Right. <laughs> like magically somehow is what you would say. And what I was thinking is, we got to get this fight done before, before we go to bed. The sun goes down. <laughs> and, and so that 20 minutes was such a, a breakthrough mm-hmm. that compromised both of those extreme applications yes, yes. of this verse to say yes. what it means for me to yeah. get a rein on my own thumos and orge, my own, you know, kind of masculine anger, pick a fight energy that Mm -hmm. I was tapping into Mm -hmm. for me to cool off and for her to tap into her anger and to discern what was true in it so that she could speak the truth uh, lovingly, but confidently so that we get it. And then you come back and you have the argument. So that 20 minutes made it so we could start to actually fulfill this verse that we had had kind of opposite applications of you know right right which is all really wonderful until you remember that this is all of a piece so in your dealing with your anger you're not allowed to use falsehood you must speak the truth and 
you can only speak what is useful for building up. I mean, that's a, like I mentioned in in the the first few moments. It's pretty restrictive. You this said. is very restrictive use of speech, and I mean, it goes along with with the passage in James, you know, where we also find these ethical exhortations about how to treat one another, etc. But not just let no evil talk speak only good talk, but not even all good talk, only good talk that is useful for building up. And even then, as it is necessary. So (laughs) we really are only supposed to say what is necessary. And I think that is a very, very hard habit of speech to nurture. Oh my heavens. That's exactly where, (laughs) that's a very good insight. (laughs) about how to then, so when you come back after those 20 minutes, Mm. this rule is just utterly crucial, right? Yeah. Of course, that's half the time you do the 20 minutes and you come back and you say, yeah, I didn't even really care about that thing. I was just mad about something at work and I was taking it out on you. And you, it's, you realize, what do you realize? You realize, oh, that wasn't actually necessary. Right. It wasn't necessary. You, You don't even have to always go back. So it's good yeah, Allah, I want to make sure I'm translating this right. So 29, I never noticed how restrictive 29 was till today, Sarah. So you just <laughs> saying that in passing 10, 20 yeah. minutes ago really did a light bulb. Yeah. So help me with the Greek here. So Allah, so second half of 29, Allah, which would be but rather. So A-T, when those are together, is that the is that what's creating the only yep. that, the, that the translations have? I forgot that little combo. So it's, it's, it's if... If something or if someone, yeah, yeah. is yeah. that a just a yeah. stock right. phrase for only? I, I just had forgotten that one. Well, I mean, we need only in the English and we could say, you know, but if it's useful. So let no evil talk. But, okay. But if it's useful for building up as there is need. So but that makes it sound like, well, evil talks. Okay. If it's right, useful, right, which right, wouldn't yeah. make sense. <laughs> right, so right. that's why we do the only. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> if something is good. Okay, that's nice. For building up edification, oiko domain, which is a recurring theme in in Ephesians. That word appears a ton all throughout chapter two. The building up of the body. We're all members of one another. Building up your your ego, building up your confidence. This is building the Mm -hmm. body of which Christ is the cornerstone from back there in chapter two. I think it's verses 20 through 22. So this is not, again, even there, useful for building up, but not just any building up in the context of Ephesians. Building up the body, which is a corporate thing, not exactly. only an individual one-to-one relational kind right, of Right, right. I was giving those interpersonal illustrations because yes. it's where this has been tested in my own life. But no, this is not a interpersonal only one-to-one thing. This is a communal life. And do we have a communal life that uh, seeks to speak words that are only for the good of building one another up as is necessary or as is fitting mm. so that you may give grace to those who hear, mm. right? So where this really hits the road, I think, is in our interpersonal relationships. Are we speaking in ways such that if we were overheard, it would build up everybody beyond the confines of the conversation as well? which really means we That's have- That's a good question. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite a responsibility to be sure we are not ever throwing a brother or sister under the bus in our conversations. We are not expressing our wrath and anger and malice, but 
our words are only life-giving, really, but life-giving to the whole body. <laughs> and remember, remember that in the context of Ephesians, this is the tension between the, maybe potentially, depending on, on how you read the letter, is this the tension between the Jewish and the Gentile portions of the church? So even in how we talk one-on-one, are we building up our opponents within the church? Yeah, and that's crucial because, well, it's like you can almost have three stages. You kind of have the, for a modern reader. So again, I'm working backwards, modern back. But for a modern reader, first here's this stuff and there's all this language of, I mean, these are ancient, there's an ancient moral psychology here where the emotions are understood very differently in relationship to the will. But we hear them and we immediately start thinking about our own inner life and whether I'm a good person inside. Mm-hmm. And then like the next stage is to recognize, okay, this is, this is interpersonal dynamics. But even then, if you stop there, you can fall into what a lot of modern churches do, whereas like we apply the verse to, you know, we apply language to, you know, people like us, right? <laughs> fellow, <laughs> fellow Christians that I like, uh, right. uh, my spouse, my That's children. Right. It does apply there, but it doesn't apply only there. And that's not really where it's tested. Where it's really tested is, am I communicating in all my speaking? A lot of times there's things we excuse because, well, other people aren't around, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'm Um, venting or... Right. Yeah. Oh, man, I excuse so much (laughs) under venting. I'll even not say the names of the people I'm talking about as if that makes it okay, but I'm giving a foothold. I'm... Yeah. Because I am nursing it. There's a place for processing with friends sure, and stuff. Sure. This, this is th- these need to be understood not as as uh, uh, bright line legal requirements, but as virtue instruction, like oh, a way of life. So. Absolutely, and and then I mean I think that the the real hard part of this is that when we miss the mark, we run the risk of grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Not only do we miss a chance to build up the body of Christ, to give grace, but if we succumb to the bitterness, wrath, anger, et cetera, et cetera, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Who, yeah, can you say more about that? I, I, I don't know this term, es fragis deite. <laughs> I mean, I can think of quenching the spirit is a term in Thessalonians, and of course, there's language about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, sinning against the Spirit in the Gospels, um, this grieving of the Spirit. This is strange. Help, help me with this. I, I don't know this term. Yeah. Well, to give pain to or distress, I think in this context, it's we are already sealed by the Spirit. And so in a way, we are revealing ourselves to be living in a way that is untrue to that which is reality in an important sense. So, yeah, I misspoke because it was the the that's I I quoted the s s frog yeah instead of say, the s frog state that's the that's the being sealed word that's me lupete it's just the word it's the word in John's gospel when he says do not let your hearts be filled with sorrow it's right right don't make the Holy Spirit sad <laughs> <laughs> that's oh. weird man. <laughs> Uh, right. It is weird. And it's weird that well, there's something else really weird about this, because I think this is the one place in the whole New Testament where the, the phrase Holy Spirit of God is used. Is that correct? If I'm remembering that correctly. Ooh, I'd have to double check that, but that's not Paul's anyway, standard way of talking. Right. It's right. not his way of speaking. Yeah. So this is one of the texts, of course, that Trinitarian theology 
really grasped onto because this is an explicit connection of the Holy Spirit to God. <laughs> so it, it is this spirit, the spirit that seals us as identified with God. And like you think about a seal for the day for someday in the future, a seal for the day of redemption. It's like almost like there's a package being wait, waiting to be opened. But but this seal marking us as belonging to God, we can put the lie to that seal, I guess. We can grieve. I like that. Yeah. We can say, I've marked you with myself and this is how you're behaving. So yeah, it's a very affective description of God's reaction to our sin. You know, this is not wrath of God language at all. This is grieving. For me, that ups the ante a little bit. Yeah, I'm thinking like, so I'll I'll go to the ceiling language and then come back. I just did a quick glance while we were talking there. And this verb is used in John Mm 6 in the context of the bread of life. And so the seal has that seal of approval, you know, and, and the preservation that a seal brings And Paul used on this one, God has put his seal. And then he uses it in first Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter one, also there speaking of the Holy spirit Yeah, and uh, that we've been it. sealed and given us, given the spirit as a down payment in our hearts. In Ephesians um, one or no, that's in oh, Corinthians, yeah. uh, that's second in, Corinthians yeah, one similar in Ephesians one as well. Um, and Ephesians one, I think has it too. Yeah. Where I'm trying to remember where that is. Promised Holy spirit. This is the yes. of our inheritance. So yeah, so there's an appeal back to that. And so then this grieving, this saddening is this, I, I like your language. It puts the lie to the seal. It's like, we've been sealed mm-hmm. um, for a final redemption. And it's nice. It locates our actions in this time between, of course, I'm going to grab the eschatology here, but like well, the sealing of the spirit is at the root of our identity in the apocalypse that is Christ's death and resurrection Mm -hmm. that we've been drawn in through our baptism. And we're awaiting that final redemption of our bodies through the resurrection of all. So between his resurrection from the dead and and the resurrection of us all of the dead, there's a way of life between those resurrections. Absolutely. And, and I suppose you could say that transactionally, it would be enough that we were sealed. Relationally, yeah, it's not yes. enough, right? Because in the meantime, we have a relationship. The body of Christ has a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And this is one of those rare moments where the immutability of God <laughs> doesn't... <laughs> Exactly. Doesn't yeah. make quite as much sense in, in a text like this. Yeah. The spirit is grieved. I mean, I don't want to overdo it, but like you say, it's, it, it's, uh, it's different than the wrath language and it's helpful because it's a sort of, there's this, this twinge of regret, like, wow, I put my seal on you and, but it's, it's, it, you're leaking, right? The body's <laughs> leaking, right? And it's, yeah, yeah. uh, these are like little leaks in, cause this seal, the language in earlier in chapter four of the spirit as the bond of peace, mm-hmm. right? So this sealing language also has a bonding kind of, oh, the spirit is the bonding agent for all these members in the body. Mm-hmm. And so when some members of the body are sort of disrupting and causing corruption, well, that's going to spread through the whole body. That's right. And so you can think if the spirit is almost the sort of living breath mm-hmm. of of this body that would otherwise be a corpse that's referred to. I know we, our translations call it the new self in 24, Yeah, but it is, you know, it's the new anthropone, the new <laughs> human. Yeah, that's right. Right. This new, which uh, you know, this, this living person, the new Adam, we could even say mm-hmm. in a way. And what did God do when he made 
how to be breathed, breathed the spirits, the, the right. spirit of God into <laughs> it. Right. So you can think of the spirit as the, the life force of this body that you Absolutely. and I, and all of us are a part of. Mm-hmm. And so in some sense, that's the self in a way, when you talk about the new self, in a sense, we're not, I'm, I don't have an individual <laughs> new self. That's not the point here. The point is, is we're one big new self and the self yeah. and we're the body and the self is the spirit. Yeah. And so this, and w- what happens when like, I mean, right now my neck hurts really, really bad. That That's not like a, it's an illustration, but it's real. My neck actually hurts today. Yeah. And like that grieves me, that causes me pain. Yes. And, and, and w- I can say it two ways. I can say my neck hurts, but or I can also say I have, I have neck pain or I. I am in pain. In yeah. Pain. I <laughs> hurt. Right. right yeah. And the I in the body of Christ, I don't know if you'd agree with this. I, I think this fits Ephesians. The I of the body of Christ in some sense is the spirit, right? It's the the yeah. unity of it's the thing that unifies that makes these body parts potty parts of one being. Absolutely. Um, and so because yeah. you can't be, I mean, you can't be grieved without the personality. I feel like the it's the person, it's the personhood of the spirit that's coming out here yeah. as much as the deity of the spirit. Yes, it's very absolutely. clear yeah. that the spirit has attitudes <laughs> and doesn't <laughs> yeah. like it when the body is is waging war against uh between its members yeah it hurts the spirit right, right. yeah and i think Whew. that's that's something that struck me actually in the whole passage because i don't know if you think of like the progression of a typical life of faith first you kind of try to conquer your your anger or other vices towards unbelievers and then it gets, in some ways, even harder to do that against brothers and sisters. To make sure that yeah. you are not sinning, even in your attitudes towards your brothers and sisters in the body. And and obviously, <laughs> our world is so torn and fractured yeah. right now. I think to myself, like, it's hard enough to forgive and to do all of these things towards people who are not in the body of Christ. But this is one another, one another, one another again and again. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no like free pass because it's all in the family. Yep. No, I think that's spot on. Well, let's take a quick break and uh, come back and explore some sermon starters. All right. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Sarah Dirk, and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. Let me just read the text one more time so it's fresh on our minds, and then we'll explore some sermon starters. So Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with their neighbor, because we are members of of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go over your anger and then give a place for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let them labor doing honest work with their own hands so that they may have something to share with anyone who has need. Let no 
corrupting talk come forth from your mouths or mouths, sorry, (laughs) but only such as is good for the edification as is necessary that it may give grace to the hearers and do not aggrieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and blasphemy be put away from yourselves along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, gracing one another as God in the Messiah graced you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as the Messiah loved us and handed himself over for our sakes, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The word of the Lord. Yeah, so let's explore some sermon starters. Where might you head with this text if you were assigned to preach it, or what general advice would you give to those who might be uh, developing their own lessons or sermons? I've been thinking about this a little bit. I I might start off with that phrase, imitators of God. Yeah. And maybe start with some pretty blatant imitations and talk about like, what is it? How do you know when something's quote, just imitation, like imitation leather? (laughs) Uh, Nice. I like that. (laughs) Or um, maybe talking about like impressions because the, the verb here is where we get our English word for mimic. So mimicry, and and we could talk about the, we could talk about how, um, how children mimic, because that's the, uh, that's the metaphor that's offered to us here in the text as beloved children mimic God. We could then I think draw a contrast between sort of these, these attempts to imitate and the actual expectation that we do imitate God, that we must learn to imitate God well enough to be a fragrant offering to him. So that's, that's one way I thought about it maybe you could kind of go in then to so the tension of course there is our own inadequacies here but it is because christ loved us and gave himself up for us that we have any hope of living up to these standards in the previous verses so we could we could go in that direction i also thought about that phrase of fragrant offering which we haven't talked about yet but i think you could do something very interesting with essential oils (laughs) i love it (laughs) Because I should have just, seen that company. They're just everywhere, aren't they? <laughs> and of course, one of them is frankincense, which is one of the fragrances that was used in the sacrificial system. So you could, I don't know, play with that a little bit. That could be kind of a fun illustration of some kind. So yeah, that's what comes to mind first, not having spent a whole lot of time on that. I think then what I would want to do is to wrestle with the distance between reality and aspiration Mm, Uh, yeah and focus on the very practical steps that are given here i mean these are not immediately be like god these are habits we build and habits we build together and we do this together because we are members of one another we learn 
to address our anger. We learn to work honestly with our hands. We learn to share with the needy, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there, there could be some very interesting play there between the tension between the reality and, and the learning to live into the divine reality that we are called to. Yeah, I really like that. I, you know, this doesn't work for every sermon, but I could see a, a real natural sort of narrative flow where you could begin the first part of the teaching really on bad imitation, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you could even go through some of these areas where we think we're being godly mm-hmm. when we you know, speak the truth to our neighbor. I'm just telling the truth, yeah, right? right? <laughs> uh, I'm just telling it like it is, right? Yeah, and then, yeah. and then we could justify our anger because of God's own wrath, mm-hmm. and we could be we could be giving towards one another in a kind of uh, patronizing way, yeah, or ostentatious, being, yes, yeah, showing us, yeah. But then to like flip it and say, but what does it mean to really imitate God? We've been made in God's image. Mm-hmm but that image gets distorted and who is the image of God, you know, reinstantiating that image and revealing that it's Christ. So how does Christ express the divine attributes? It's through walking in love, the giving himself over Mm -hmm. the being gracious toward, and then sort of rethinking, okay, what does it really mean to, to engage in these practices? I think that could work really well. And I, I, I think all of the, the, illustrations you mentioned could be woven in um, to that message. I really think, I mean, not to turn it into points, but I do tend to like that at least for my own memory and hooks, right? It seemed like, at least in terms of the topics, all of these sort of sins against the neighbor could maybe be a way to capture it. And it's inordinate anger. It's stealing and it's just the way we use our words, right? Yeah. And I'd be, I'd be okay, actually, because there's so much talk of the way we speak to one another, which is often how anger manifests itself, though not only. If we didn't really camp out much on the, the stealing stuff in 28, I wouldn't feel too bad because it, it keeps coming back to this way of speaking. Yeah, it does. The way we use our tongue. It reminds me of the stuff in James on yeah, absolutely. Yeah. the controlling of the tongue. And then a lot of, because if we're just kind of talking about virtue in general, we can get a little vague. Whereas I think zeroing yeah. in on sins of the tongue could be, sure. could be a pretty, pretty powerful sermon. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I think, I think we could, we could think about all of the ways that bitter and wrath and anger and even wrangling and slander manifest in our speech, whether that speech is verbal or digital. <laughs> That's right. It's logos here, right? Yeah. So it's it's words. They don't have to be spoken. They right, can be typed. Right. They can be thought right. even. Yes. Yeah. 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 Logos starts out as a thought and then yeah. becomes speech. And the word yeah. you use the same Greek word for both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I would want I would maybe want to end with the encouragement and exhortation that is offered in verse one by the phrase beloved children. So again, if we think yeah, about nice. our from our parenting experience, how delighted are you when one of your children mimics you and tries to do what you're doing, right? It's, and, and in that moment, that is your beloved child. And we are God's beloved children. And so he is not waiting to catch us out in our failing. He is 
delighting in our attempt, <laughs> in our attempt right. to love and, and be kind and tenderhearted. The language of, of mimicking, of, of imaging, of imitating is always a likeness within an ever greater dissimilarity, right? Yeah. There's not an expectation of an exact copy here. No. That's what Christ provides. He's the perfect copy, and even he is distinct in some sense from the Father. No, I think that's good. And actually, that's a way to, I mean, I can't help but it. That brings the two things together for me because, I mean, our conversation's ministering to me, and I hope that our listeners will find something useful here for them too. But Because actually, I can think of the opposite illustration. I could see that in in a sermon where my kid is lashing out, yelling. At another yeah. sibling. Yeah. And that and, grieves you. And I have that. It, it grieves, grieves me. Spirit. That's where I was going. <laughs> I, I All of a sudden, I get that that lupe from verse yes. 30 in a way yes. that I didn't get till just now. Yeah. And I have the moments when it ticks me off because they're yes. acting out. And then there's those moments when I'm just like, dang it. They're getting that from me. They yeah. are just, they are, <laughs> they are, they don't like what's happening. They feel yeah. an injustice is around them and they just lash out. Mm-hmm. Whereas I already told the 20 minute story, like I, <laughs> I mean, how warm, how much did it warm my heart? Mm-hmm. First time I heard my son just say 20 minutes and just like <laughs> take, and I saw him stop and take a deep breath and yeah. do like a little hand motion, exact same <laughs> one that I do, you know, like, right. you know, just like Ooh. filling out and, and it grieved me a little to know that, oh, you know, I, I, I don't always live up to that, but I mostly was just filled with delight. Yes. So for me, I mean, obviously, listeners, if if you are preparing a teaching for another, think of think in your own life and what you've seen. But at least for me, that's just what I see here. And to think, mm-hmm. okay, that that itself now is a parable. Yes. Uh, of what what Paul's inviting us into that yes. God's own act of love and grace manifest in Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. And how much He just delights when we try, <laughs> like we don't have. You don't perfect yeah. it. It's the imitation of a child. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's not transforming the whole world. He'll do that in the end, like you said, <laughs> waiting for the day of redemption. That's right. right? That's the Spirit, right. the Holy Spirit will, you know, Ezekiel 37, the whole thing yep. eventually, yep. and raise all these bodies That's and perfect right. us. That's but right. in this time between the times, are we leaning in and, and, and mimicking our loving Father? Yeah, right. Or are we mim- imitating the world? Are we mimicking the rebellion of the world. That's really good. That's, that's, that's moving to me, Sarah. So I hope it's. Me too. (laughs) The other thing I thought about as you're talking about imitators, like my son is really interested these days in the phenomenon of a deep fake (laughs) in in movies movies and TV, you know, and this Mm -hmm. idea that as we try to imitate God, you know, I want to get as far as I can in that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just, I wonder if you could play with that image a little That's bit. That's fun, the deep fake. And of course, yeah. on the flip side, you could say a deep fake is still just a, just an image. Maybe this could come back to the individualism. This could be a good illustration for that distinction that we yes. brought up earlier. Because yes, yeah. deep, fakes, deep fakes are still just a presentation. That's right. Right? You yeah. can't deep fake actual interactions, <laughs> right? No, no. Uh, in the same way. That's We're not right. there yet, at least. Yeah. There's something about actual embodied being members of one another's lives. Yes. Um, yeah. You can only fake it so long. That's right. You really do need to be transformed. That's why it needs to be a tenderness from within and not yes. just right. a right. 
right. a set of behaviors, yeah. but a whole way of being in the world. Yeah. So I can hide my anger, but that is not the same thing as Bingo. being angry without sinning. Bingo. Yes. Yes. Well, side note, that's a whole other sermon. If you just, <laughs> if you just wanted to comment and really walk people through 26 and what yeah. it does and does not entail, that would be yes. a gift. There's a lot of us that need liberation from, I think, some really bad Christian teaching on anger absolutely, um, absolutely, yeah. and whether that's just an aside in a larger sermon, or if that's just the whole focus yeah, right. uh, would be, I think a, a gift to people. Yeah. So you've given us a lot of gifts, Sarah. Thanks so much for your <laughs> well, time. Yes. It's been a delight. Thank you so much. Thanks uh, to all our listeners. Of course, thanks to Todd and Eric for their great production work. Can't imagine doing this without you guys. Uh, thanks, especially to our patron saints who support the show. If you want to, uh, become a patron saint, get some extra content, go to patreon.com slash fresh text uh, to see ways you can support the show. I have a day job. I don't see a cent of that. That's for the production team behind the scenes. And with that, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.